As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Cliff. If you are listening to this program each week, you know that there is a, a tour coming up this fall. It's a trip to Mayaland, Mexico, and I am going to be taking a small group of people to Yucatan, Mexico, October 28th through November 4th. And our home base will be the capital city of Mareda, which is a colonial city, a very, very cool place in Mexico. And uh, I'd like you to join me. Uh, we're going to go and see probably the best-known Maya ruins, uh, places like Chichen Itza, uh, Ushmal, Ekbalam, Sail, Labna, and each day we're going to go and check out uh, one major ruin. We're going to see museums. We're going to go to a cenote. Hey, we're even going to be there during Day of the Dead, so we'll be able to celebrate along with uh, everybody in that area. So come out and join me. Again, it's uh, October 28th through November 4th. You can see the entire itinerary uh, by going to earthancients.com forward slash tours has everything on there. I cut the price in half. So it's really, really reasonable. All you got to do is get yourself down there. Uh, it comes with quite a few of the meals, really a comfortable bus. In some of the places we're going, there will be a uh, shaman to kind of open up ceremonially the different places we go to. Because those are energy places. Those are places of energy, places of connecting with mind, body, spirit. We'll even do some meditative processes that kind of connect you to those locations. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of the Maya. And I think uh, there is a lot to know, a lot to learn, and a lot to experience. So come out with me. Go to uh, earthancients.com forward slash tours, and you'll get all the information. Okay, here's today's show.
July the 22nd, 2017. This is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Hey, I'm putting the final touches on an article uh, for Ancient Origins magazine. I think I originally called it the Maya Conspiracy. The new title is the Maya Controversy. (laughs) And uh, the reason I did that is I didn't want it to sound like somebody was trying to cover something up. I, in the last week, I have found some quite interesting information on um, the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, a scientific article came out uh, about six months ago that shows that the entire northern Yucatan area was hit by massive tsunamis Uh, about 1,500 years ago. In fact, uh, the evidence shows that there may have been continual tsunamis, and at one time, that whole area may have been uh, dealt with mega flooding. Now, this is pretty significant news for me because when I first went down to Yucatan uh, in 1995, I I saw a tremendous amount of evidence of, uh, of water damage on most, if not all, the buildings. And then this article, the Maya controversy, uh, which, by the way, will be available next week. All you got to do is go to earthancients.com and you'll see it. But I'll also have it on the Facebook page. When I was down there, I mean, I, I saw not only buildings that were damaged, but I saw evidence of, ruin, uh, of uh, sculptures. I saw evidence of um, a tremendous amount of stone masonry that was etched by salt water. And one of the funny things about the Yucatan Peninsula is it's extremely flat. It's, it's been like pounded flat. And to my mind, there's no other evidence in the world that shows those kinds of uh, geological phenomenon. And I was always wondering why, not only was it, is the area flat, but if you study the uh, photography from the early universities that, that excavated and consolidated uh, Chichen Itza. If you saw the work by uh, Augustus Leon Pleong, who actually took some of the early photos in the 1880s and 1890s of Ushmo, of Chichen Itza, of the smaller surrounding cities like Mayapan, there is tremendous evidence of stones being uh, in dirt and rubble, filling the interior of of buildings, heavy damage to the pyramids. And I was just shocked that no one had really seen this. And these tsunamis are massive. We're talking walls of water between 20 and in some places 50 feet high above sea level. So you look at the the horizon of the ocean when you're standing on the, uh, the beach and it's 20, 50 feet above that. So you're talking about a pretty massive wave. Now, the flooding is something else that I have to consider, and I'm still working that out. But the tsunamis are a good starting place. Uh, if you come down with me, which I hope you do, to visit the Yucatan, there's a beautiful city called uh, Sail, which is on the Gulf of Mexico side of the uh, peninsula. And Sail has this beautiful palace that's a multi-tiered, it's about four, three, three and a half, four stories. And the building has been demolished. Uh, they've they've uh, tried to 
consolidate and um, uh, rebuild a portion of it, uh, the left side, if you look at it from the entrance. But the entire right side of this building has been demolished. And there's literally tons of piles of stone that are around the, the base, around the outside edge. And the, uh, the excavation teams and the consolidation teams have not been able to completely rebuild the building because it's been plummeted, uh, been damaged so heavily. And uh, it's one of the best examples of this, uh, of this water. This water not only probably sat on top of it for you know, multiple years, but as the water – and this is what's really cool – as the water is receding, there's a number of rivers that are created. And the, there's a river that actually carves through the top of this building and uh, as it's moving along. And it, in the beginning, it was probably moving with great force. It's carrying stones. It's carrying dirt and sediment. And when you see the early photographs of, of them excavating uh, this building at Sail, you can see the sediment, the stonework, and, and the, much of the stonework is uh, where it is sitting where it stood uh, probably for thousands of years because it's just it's just too much uh, to deal with. So, and they have no idea what how to how to re, uh, redo the actual building because there's no blueprint. So they do the best they can. Anyhow, you can read about the whole discovery in the Mayan the Mayan uh, controversy. Again, I think I think they're going to have it out on Tuesday or Wednesday. I was just talking to the editor the other day. So, but this is something that I find fascinating, and it makes a great deal of sense. If you remember, we had Randall Carlson on the program, and he is the scientist who has basically said that there were mega floods in the United States, um, and now there's uh, great evidence for mega floods in Central America. So, check that article out. I want to let people know that I spoke with Graham Hancock uh, the other day. And if you're in California, if you're close to the San Francisco Bay Area, if you're going to be in the regions next April, April 28th and 29th, Graham is going to be giving a talk on his new book. Now, he's writing a new book. God, isn't that great? And he is taking a, a, a lot of information that he's discovered uh, about this uh, Younger Dryas uh, catastrophe, this asteroid hit that uh, basically hit uh, much of the eastern uh, United States. The Carolina uh, uh, area was plummeted. But he's talking about that, and is he going to get? In, he's going to get into Native American prophecy uh, and Native American discovery, uh, what they discuss in their uh, various histories. And he will be speaking, we haven't decided what day it is yet, but he's going to be speaking, giving a, a lecture and a workshop and an intensive April 28th or 29th. And if you come out, I'll, you can hang out. I'll say hi to you. And uh, if you want to learn more information about that, it's not been posted yet, but you can go to uh, newlivingexpo.com and you can read about the entire Expo. There's about 80 speakers, and these are top-of-the-line speakers, people like Marianne Williamson. If you're into the ancient aliens, uh, I think we're going to have uh, Giorgio Sukulos will be there. 
and it's still early. We're still developing the speaker program, but James Van Prague will be there. Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins is going to be there. So come on out. Take a look at the, the program guide online. Say, hey, you know, uh, I think I'm going to be giving a lecture on uh, the Maya controversy because it's going to be made into a book. I, it's just, I've just found too much material uh, to let sit. And this new information has uh, really compelled me to want to write about it. So, again, it's uh, April 27th, 28th, 29th. Grant will be speaking either Saturday the 28th or Sunday the 29th. Uh, we don't know yet, but uh, great news. Uh, he'll be out with his wife. Great time, the great opportunity to meet with him. Earth Ancients is brought to you by Gaia. Hey, and I've spoken to you about all their titles. It's it's eight thousand titles and growing, and um, I mean it's just an amazing array of uh, content. Probably the most thorough content on UFO, alien uh, content, uh, abductions, uh, sightings. Some of my favorite material is on ancient Earth pyramid cultures from around the world. And they're offering a wonderful opportunity to see all of this material. Go to Gaia.com forward slash Earth Ancients. And for 99 cents, you get a full month of uh, content at your fingertips. And the following months are about nine nine fifty. But uh, this is an opportunity to uh, see not only what the latest uh, content is, uh, and see things like this uh, unusual mummy they found in Peru. But there is literally uh, uh, content for anything you can think of regarding uh, the occult, for uh, unknown and known civilizations around the world, uh, ancient technology. Uh, there's just so much to see. Uh, go to Gaia, that's G-A-I-A dot com forward slash Earth Ancients, and um, you can uh, take in that great price of just 99 cents, and uh, you'll see <laughs> 8,000 plus titles of just amazing material. Check it out. I hope you'll uh, join them uh, because they sponsor Earth Ancients, and we need that. week we feature news from around the world and I stick it on the Facebook page but you also can see it uh, on the website earthancients.com we send the feed directly to there now you won't get all the news but you'll get quite a bit including uh, the galleries that I post so this week uh, we go to Australia and uh, there's a tremendous amount of uh, excitement because they've found artifacts and then Aboriginal artifacts that show evidence of uh, humans in uh, northern Australia 80,000 years ago. Now, this is really pushing human occupation back. Uh, previous to that, they thought it was about 45,000 years ago, but this, these new artifacts almost double the age of uh, sophisticated humans uh, being in Australia. You can see the entire article and the artifacts um, 
on the uh, Facebook page and on the uh, Earth Ancients page 80,000 years ago. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So, you know, uh, time, uh, evidence of uh, uh, modern humans uh, uh, just keeps getting pushed further and further back, which is quite interesting. So, uh, and we've had people on the show talk about this, uh, this, the, these ancient humans. Hey, newly discovered tomb in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt uh, may be the body of King Tutankhamun's wife. And uh, guess who's back in the, in the news? Zahi Hawass, the rogue archaeologist. Uh, some people believe he's the most famous uh, uh, Egyptologist in the world. Uh, but he and his team have uh, found a, a new room. And with these new powerful radars, they penetrate the walls. And the inscriptions show that this is his wife, uh, King Tut's wife. And that's uh, pretty, big, pretty big news. And you can see that article on the Facebook page. We have a number of new galleries this week. Uh, we have a, a, a Southwest England Standing Stone Gallery. These standing stones are known as dolmens. These are uh, multi-ton uh, rocks that are balanced on two or three sub-rocks, uh, st- sub-stones. And they don't really know how these uh, ancient people lifted these stones up to place them on top of other stones. <laughs> uh, and dolmens are kind of strange, but uh, we've had people on the show talk about dolmens, and there seems to be, some cases, uh, electromagnetic uh, uh, frequency, electromagnetic properties in these stones that uh, were somehow manipulated, and that's pretty far. We don't know how the ancients did it. It's really mind-boggling to consider these 10, 20, in some cases, 40-ton stones balanced on a couple of piers, smaller stones. But uh, anyhow, this entire gallery is something to check out uh, on the Facebook page. You know, one of our uh, readers sent a really cool gallery of petrified forests in Arizona. And I didn't know there were any petrified forests in Arizona. These are 100,000-year-old forest, and there's, they have this a whole cluster of them that are in the line. If you look at them uh, from satellite position, there's uh, different names. There's a rainbow forest, there's a crystal forest, a uh, jasper forest, and these are very cool photos of magnificent uh, petrified trees. In a couple of cases, and you can see them in this gallery, Actual full trees, uh, some of them are as uh, tall as a, uh, 80 to 100 feet, are laying on their side. And they look just, just like uh, trees, like we had, someone had just fell a tree. So huge, huge <laughs> trees that are petrified. And, so, and they're beautiful. People, you can't do anything with them now, but uh, some of the stonework that is created from these uh, fallen trees that are petrified is beautiful. We make them into bows and belt buckles and, and jewelry. <laughs> I don't think you can do it anymore, but uh, in some cases you can see it. So on the Facebook page, each week we feature just a lot of information. So check that out, earthancients.com, and you'll see the entire uh, gallery.
so each week we meet with our uh, contact at Gaia. And uh, again, this week it's with Melissa Tittle. And Melissa has a lot to talk about this week. And uh, this is a great opportunity to hear about programming that is in the works that will be um, released shortly. And although I have mentioned that there are 8,000 titles, they don't stop there. Each month, they release between two to four, sometimes more, new programs uh, that are either part of series, standalone uh, special presentations, special programs on specific items. So uh, here is Melissa. So we're back with our Gaia contact, our, uh, the producer of content, uh, Melissa uh, Tittle. And, you know, it's always fun to check in with her because there's just a tremendous amount going on with Gaia each week. And we want to know what is, um, what's coming up for viewing. So, hey, Melissa, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm looking forward good. to hearing uh, uh, the, the latest. So um, I wanted to, to learn more about this new series called Beyond Belief with Billy Carlson. Uh, what, what is that all about? Um, Beyond Belief, the show, well, the, the actual series has been on for quite some time, but Billy Carson, he's become somebody that we've been interviewing for a number of shows, actually, so it's kind of good that he's on Beyond Belief with George Norrie. Um, Billy Carson's cool because he's, he, he's kind of got obsessed with finding any kind of anomalies that would be on any other kind of planet in our solar system. And uh, mm-hmm. definitely Mars is his specialty. Uh, and it kind of, I interviewed him first for a deep space series that came out uh, last year. Um, and fascinating stuff. I mean, he's just, uh, it, it's, he's like one of these people when they just open their mouth and, and he's just got such a plethora of information from all over the globe. You know, he's put them all okay. together and, and he's um, searching for what could be on these planets, if anything, you know, and for evidence of a possible secret space program. What's his background? What's Carl, uh, Carson's background? Is he just I a, 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 a researcher, an investigator? He's just a, yeah, he's just a researcher and investigator. And um, I, I think this is this has been something he's been interested in his whole life. And I feel like it just took off once he created this group, this uh, ISS, he calls it. (laughs) (laughs) And what does that stand for, ISS? Um, You know? International Space... Uh, space society or something. <laughs> yeah, hold on, let me find out. I know I got to ISS. It's interesting because we've had uh, a lot of experts on the show talking about Mars. Mars is a real interest of mine because not only because of the face on Mars and people like Richard mm-hmm. Hoagland uh, mm-hmm. and Dr. Brandenburg and his uh, discovery of a nuclear explosion being detonated over the Cydonia region, but there's a lot of independent researchers like Billy Car- uh, Carson that have found a tremendous amount of evidence of life, not just uh, microscopic life, but actual ruins of buildings that are pretty evident. Right. That mimics 
uh, obelisks or, you know, some kind yeah. of Egyptian pyramid or setup of, you know, of course we're speculating because we're looking at these things from afar, but yeah. but they are very, um, they're very strange that a dust storm would kick up, you know, dust and rocks and create these kind of formations. And I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, I, I really like the topic of, of possibly a secret space program because yeah. I think that uh, it's it's good to think outside the box. But there, that at one point they just you know certain people decided that they're going to go off and keep going with the technology that they created, and kind of leave the rest of the people behind. And for those reasons, you know, the reason we don't know exactly, we can speculate. But that's really interesting. Could there be uh, another human civilization that broke off and is living? on these planets in our solar system or beyond. Exactly. That's you know kind it's of funny interesting about to think this. about. Yeah, totally. What's interesting about this also is uh, just last week a uh, California senator asked uh, during a, a briefing in the Senate, asked a Na- the head of NASA if there was a civilization on Mars. <laughs> and it was funny because, of course, he's going to say, of course not. There's, no, no. That, well, where'd you get that, you know? And he was very respectful of the senator, but the guy asked about two or three different times, is there evidence of ruins? Is there evidence of, of civilization? And I don't know what the hell's going on with NASA. I mean, for years, I've heard about uh, black projects. We've heard about the rover being run by JPL uh, in Pasadena and all the strange and anomalous images of what looks like a horrific event that uh, uh, blew out buildings, destroyed technology. I mean, I've seen pictures of what look like engines, and that's pretty hard to duplicate. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is interesting. Beyond Belief is George Norrie's program, mm-hmm. and Billy Carlson is on this hunting anomalies in our solar system. So. <laughs> this is something for you listening to check out because, uh, as you know, we do cover quite a bit of information on Mars, and uh, sounds like a fascinating program. Yeah, no, you should just check Billy Carson's stuff out. And in, in general, I think I think he's just he's just somebody interesting to listen to, and um, and cool. that's what. That's why we're all here, so that we can all do our own research and you know, people kind of dig things up and, and then you go on your personal journey to figure out what that means to you. Exactly. Okay, so now we're uh, at the point of always checking in with you on the Peruvian mummy. I, I understand there's a, a I new video. I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just kidding. Of course. Yes, the Peruvian mummies, of course. How can we forget those? I think there's a Melissa tittle all over the first, second, and perhaps the third video. There, there is a, a a person who claims to be Marissa. Excuse me, Melissa sitting with her her surgical gear, inspecting uh, what looks like <laughs> the remains of something. Hmm. Who is that person? Oh, that person. Me? You mean? Oh, my my doppelganger that happens to be wearing surgical gear. Yeah. 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 Okay, so what's up with the fourth video? What's that all about? Uh, the fourth video is on the small bodies. Um, if you've been tuning into what Jaime's putting out there, um, these are the the smaller bodies that uh, that Terry had, and um, 
and that uh, Jaime did a big piece on. Um, in the fourth update, we kind of go into how these bodies are really interesting, and we did get them CAT scan, and they were X-rayed actually twice just to make sure that uh, you know if there's anything if we could get a better image of it so that people could look at it. Uh, but um, we weren't allowed to do testing of those. Terry did not want us to do testing of those bodies. So hmm. we that's where we got the the body that didn't that came without a head. It's the same kind of species looking, and th- right. that one we took samples from. So okay. I think we're just kind of doing our due diligence. I mean, it's already out there, this whole thing with the other bodies. Uh, you know, we're interested in things that we can get tested, but it, I think it's just something we wanted to we wanted to just follow up that, yes, here are the small bodies that um, Terry and Jaime have been working on, um, but we didn't get to actually take samples from those. And, hmm. uh, now, so they're, they're now interesting, these... but... Mm-hmm. Okay, but I mean, I, I saw something that that uh, somebody made a statement that they're very reptilian mm-hmm. in uh, in composition. Um, but what's odd is I have seen a couple of uh, of images of X rays, and if they're fake, they're pretty amazing because the the ribs, the spinal column, the fingers, they're very intricate. They look pretty pretty uh, substantial, pretty Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 me. especially Maria. I mean, but even those smaller bodies, it's, it's, it's hard for anybody that's looked at it, whether they're a believer, not believer, in the space, out of the space, radiologist, mm-hmm. any kind of specialty of the kind of people that we brought on board. And, and even, uh, you know, people that have come here to our Gaia location that are going to be interviewed. They want to see the x-rays and we show them. Um, they can't find any parts that were manipulated either. So, I mean, those yeah. people aren't always experts as far as uh, radiologists and stuff like that. But um, So it is very interesting. Uh, again, you know, I think that we are really trying to hopefully get tests back. And, you know, this, as I said before, this takes a while but um but mm-hmm. you know we're hoping to get some results like whether it's real or you know uh, you know another issue is too is is uh, I don't know if we talked about this last time but there was a smaller body submitted to the Ministry of Culture uh like a, like a with a smaller body that you haven't seen on Gaia like a some other kind of small body uh, okay. that I actually haven't seen when I was there. And and that got submitted to the Ministry of Culture, and they were like, this is definitely fake. This is animal parts, uh, animal skin mixed with human parts, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I've been getting a lot of flack about that because I am calling different kinds of archaeologists and, and paleogeologists and all these kinds of people to, to kind of bounce off uh, the science, right? You know, the research. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what I was finding was uh, that, you know, these people were saying, oh, well, it's already been fake. And I'm like, but that's not any of the bodies that we are actually showing or that any of the bodies that we took tests on, that, that is something completely different that got submitted to the Ministry of Culture. So hmm. um, I know that's been floating around there, but that's not what we're working on. That's a completely different thing. And right Let me, currently... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, oh, I was going to ask just, you this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and com- complete your thought. 
Okay. Uh, uh, but currently, we are trying to work with the Ministry of Culture to make a statement uh, or do the research or get involved with the bodies that we have been working on and that we have showed you. So uh, we haven't heard anything back yet. Okay. So my question at this point is this. If you get scientific data back that this is the real deal, mm-hmm. what is Gaia prepared to do at that point? I mean, I think the next step is, okay, if this is real, it needs to go to a university, it needs to go it needs to do its it needs to go to the people that can do a full forensic investigation. Analysis, I mean, we're not those yeah. people. We yeah. we are yeah. we're we're journalists. So, um right. it needs to go to science. It doesn't belong to anybody but that community. And exactly. so that's what we hope that's what we hope will happen, regardless, because the answer we just want an answer. It's not it doesn't have to be a manipulated answer, it just needs to be an answer. What is it? <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well Melissa, thank you for checking in with us. As always, we want to know what's uh on your mind, what's happening, and we look forward to chatting with you again. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much for my brief moment in time on your show, and I hope to talk to you next week. We definitely will. Okay, thanks for your time. All right, take care. Bye. So that was Melissa uh, Tittle, and uh, remember, you can get access to you know these massive uh, libraries uh, by going to Gaia.com forward slash Earth Ancients and uh, sign in. 99 cents, register, and you can uh, uh, see everything she's talking about. Those uh, series on that mummy, it's part four now. Uh, They're short. I think they're they're about 20 minutes to half an hour, but boy, they're packed with a lot of detail. So check it out, Gaia.com forward slash Earth Ancients. So this week we're talking about uh, terraforming the Earth. Um, I've wanted to have uh, Will Hart on the program uh, a number of times. Just hasn't worked out. He lives in Mexico, and um, he does a lot of research in different parts of Mexico. So he's he's a tough guy to, to track down. But we got him for this uh, program. Will has written a couple of books. Uh, the, yeah, the Genesis Race is the the one we're going to talk about today and also a new book called Ancient Alien Ancestors Advanced Technologies that Terraformed Our World. So here's the program. I'll come back at the end and we'll talk about our next program. There's a great deal of controversy on how humans evolved on the earth. Some scientists believe that uh, we come from a number of different ape-like creatures and through natural selection and and the survival of different groups. Uh, One group would die, ape-like creatures would die, uh, and then another would progress. But there's a strange pattern 
and there's really and also there's a number of missing links to this uh, ape man um, development uh, from the ape man we get to the Neanderthals the Dennis Novas Dennis Novans and then the Homo sapiens but there are other scientists who believe that Earth humans uh, and man have evolved through the help of ETs, off-world people. And in the early 1970s, Sir Francis Crick and his colleague, Leslie Orgel, uh, scientists who had won the Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize for their work in the DNA uh, clarification, proposed that di- in the distant past, an ET race had come with a ship filled with microorganisms to Earth and basically spawned human beings. My guest today is Will Hart, and Will's a uh, writer, he's a photojournalist, and he's written two very interesting books on what he believes is the evolution of man. The first book he wrote in 2003 is The Genesis Race, Our Extraterrestrial DNA uh, and the Other True Origins of the Species, and his newest book is called Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies That Terraformed Our World. I was interested in this uh, these series of books that uh, Will had written, and I wanted to have him on the program. And we have him on the program today. Hey, Will, how you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, Cliff. And uh, it's a pleasure being here. I enjoy talking with people that... Uh have this topic as a passion because there aren't that many of them right so uh one of the first things i want to ask you is that you um outline the uh the work of the uh uh, sir francis crick and his colleague leslie orgel and what what was it about their theory that really triggered your uh interest in uh human evolution well maybe we could go back a bit here to uh, Eric Von Doniken and his first book, uh, Chariot of the Gods, and he was he was mainly proposing, and his book had a question mark, and people forget that. They think it was some, you know, hard, fast theory that he had. He was actually asking a lot of questions and pointing a lot of things out, and he made the connection to what is now called ancient aliens. Um, I wanted to come at it, and, and his view was, was mostly, and the evidence he presented was mostly archaeological, and I wanted to come at it from the point of view of science. And Crick and Orgel were two eminent scientists who saw that there was a hole in science, that there is no real theory, uh, any, any kind of general consensus as to how life got here on the planet to begin with, which seems like a very basic question, origins of life and humanity. And I looked at their theory, which is now almost, you know, going on 50 years old. Um, and then I wanted to see, as you know, in science, uh, prediction is, is one of the ways that you verify a theory. And so far, their theory has held up very well because we have since uh, the, the time they proposed it, uh, discovered water on various planetary bodies out there. And Earth-like planets, uh, these are new things. and w- really would have astonished scientists even 50 years ago that these things would have, because they were predicting the opposite. They were saying that the planets were dry, uh, there's nothing out there, you know, we're just talking about the Earth and life here, and 
people forget we kind of take these these giant leaps for granted, but we've been making them. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring, and I still do want to bring these things together. You know, the view of ancient aliens, but from a scientific. Let's not leave science out of this because it's very much in it. No, that's good. No, that's uh, that's what we're all about here at Earth Ancients is bringing really bringing in science as much knowledge as we can and really uh, good hard uh, speculation I want to ask you in your outline uh, for this new book Ancient Alien Ancestors you kind of you get you give an overview of uh, how you believe Earth was terraformed by sophisticated geoengineering and is it your belief that um, you know ancient ETs came and rather than placing well, get, an ape man on the planet they were more like uh, looking to grow uh, uh, you know well, yeah first of all as you know that um sorry for cutting you off but I, I pretty much know where you're going with the question uh first of all science has shown that earth was very hostile it was inimical to life to begin with so from an et perspective you're looking at a planet it wasn't really going to support life for a very long time, so the original engineering just had to be to get to the point where they got microorganisms that could survive on the planet, you know, blue-green algae and things like that, that could produce oxygen, change the atmosphere. It was a long-term progression. But my real core evidence for the theory is the fact that the 30-degree north latitude is a very peculiar uh, geological fact, and I don't I don't see geologists asking questions about it. Um, people have raised the issue over the years that um, the, our earliest civilizations are basically all set up on the 30 degree north latitude, and as a matter of fact, what do we find there? We find the major river deltas in the northern hemisphere on 30 degrees north, including the Mississippi River, Tigris, Euphrates, Nile River, the Yangtze River in China. They're all spot on 30 degrees north latitude. That's quite a profound mystery in itself. I started asking, and many people have asked, why was the Great Pyramid put where it was? And what I did an experiment, I, I, moved, I moved the zero, uh, prime meridian from Greenwich to the Great Pyramid. And lo and behold, then when I when I looked at the relationships, you see that Mississippi River Delta is 100, exactly 120 degrees from the Great Pyramid. Um, and everything just lines up. So the Great Pyramid was used as a GPS, the anchor of the system. That's how I see it. Okay. Um, and then when I, when I look at these these vast river systems, why would they all conform to the 30 degree north? That to me looks like terraforming. It does not look like random events, you know, causing, uh, you know, rivers to flow down the sides of mountains and then all end up dumping into uh, the sea at the same latitude. It's, it's as if someone, a higher intelligence, was pointing something out to us and we just aren't getting it. And I, and I think it's a refusal at this point to get it. We, we just have an ego problem as a race. Okay. But are, are you saying that uh, if Earth was terraformed via ET technology, were they nurturing it along the way? Or did they just plant the seeds and then let, the, let it rip? 
uh, and then the different uh, ape man developed into the eventual Homo sapiens. No, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't. We're not that closely related to chimpanzees. I don't care what. The thing, the fraud that geneticists use is getting people thinking statistically, you know, that, oh, we're 98% like chimpanzees. Yeah, so well, we're 97% like horses and so on and so on. What difference does it make? It's the, it's the genes that differentiate that are important to look at, not the, all the ones that are the same, because even Crick pointed that out. Most of the DNA is the same on the planet. It comes, it's, there's a trunk. And it's pretty much the same for all the species, including plants. And and you should question that. Why is it so uniform? If it was all by chance and the kind of evolution that uh, Darwinists look at, why was it so uniform? Why weren't there two or three different DNA attempts before one succeeded? And we just have one, and it succeeded brilliantly. And that, to me, indicates support for the theory of what they call directed panspermia. I like the concept of cosmic ancestry better. People get confused by directed panspermia. It's kind of a, an, an oddball expression. Okay. Uh, I understand what you're saying, and, and, it, and a lot of it makes sense, but you know, there's authors like Sitchin, uh, Zechariah Sitchin, who believe that we uh, you know, were spawned by uh, an alien race, and we they use some of their genetic code. Oh, I think, code. yeah, I agree. I agree with them. I mean, it's that's that's what our earliest civilizations pretty much agree on that. You know, I mean, you, from the Bible. I mean, to me, if you read Genesis one, you're reading about terraforming. You're reading about how the earth was formed, what what the sequence was, when man was ready to come. You know, by verse twenty eight, then we created human beings, male and female. Didn't create Adam and Eve. Created both of them at the same time. It was a different race that were succeeded by the people there in Mesopotamia who were ready to, who were ready to conduct agriculture. It's, it's in the record. It's all in the record. And Sitchin was just pointing out the Sumerians said that the Anunnaki, the gods, came to earth from elsewhere and created their civilization. And I ask, here's a question to ask historians. You claim that the Sumerians, human beings, created civilization out of whole cloth, and then you completely dismiss their own history. It's as if you're, you're saying they were idiot savants. Yeah. Um, I take their I take their history as as real. They meant to tell us exactly what happened. Well, let's let's talk about a scenario. If Earth was terraformed, you know. A million years ago, or close to a million years ago, um, then these uh, uh, traveling ETs had a sophisticated society where they decided to do these to terraform various right. planets that could sustain life. Uh, exactly. We'll get into UFOs in a minute, which, to my mind, would be off-world beings wanted to take a look and see how their work was completed. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. but, but I mean, there's I wanna... many scenarios, but basically, yeah, monitoring. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, I'm reading from your book. That, but the thing I, I'm curious about is if, if we have uh, the, the scenario of terraforming, 
the ultimate goal of the ET would be to uh, would it would it be for the uh, development of uh, a humanoid, a hominin, uh, as, as the end result? Was there was there planning of their seed, not only to create fauna, animals to roam the earth, uh, tree and foliage and and, uh, and rivers and mountains and things like that, but to actually create a man? Yeah, I think what it would be, and of course, we're, here we're, we're speculating, you know, logically speculating. Um, I think it would be to create a, a branch of human beings, which they are too. Uh, we're another branch just that would carry on. And I think the basic mission, and I think we'll come around to it eventually, is to continue life on other worlds, to make sure that it survives here, but also, and we're already thinking about I mean. Our scientists have, since, what, 20, 30 years now, been planning terraforming on Mars and different planets. So this is not all novel, strange stuff. Um, they've already got a lot of... We, we could terraform Mars now. You know, we could put viruses on there and all kinds of things. And uh, we just don't. Uh, they, they try to not to so-called contaminate it. Um, but if we decided to, we could do it. And I think that's exactly what they did to eventually create a race that would go through and do what they do eventually. Probably a lot of races don't make it. Like the, like Drake, you know, astronomer Drake and uh, Enrico Fermi and different scientists have said, probably most civilizations don't last that long. Yeah, just through evolution. Yeah, they just don't, there's too many stresses. And, you know, if they take the wrong turn, like we may have, we're nuclear energy and so on yeah. um, they just you know run into walls eventually and burn up the planet or destroy themselves through wars or whatever but all we need is one higher civilization to, to be doing this only one out of trillions would have to get through the process you you make a great case for uh, the yugas which is a, a cyclic uh, history that right. the uh, Hindus believe in I personally right. believe in it too. The Maya were the same way. They believed right. in cyclic history. That's do, right. do you you don't talk about advanced civilizations that are earth spawned, but do you believe that there have been advanced civilizations like say uh, Atlantis or a very Yeah, that Atlantis Atlantis existed. Plato wasn't lying. Yeah. He pointed out exactly where it was. I've actually I have a book I have yet to publish. Uh, I'm just finalizing it um, with what I think is the state-of-the-art proof that it existed. We have islands there, the Azores Islands and the Canary Islands, right. uh, with with the evidence, with very similar artifacts that do not go back to Europeans. We have a race of people that were native to the Canary Islands. The Europeans had no idea, but they looked like Europeans. They were Atlantean, pure and simple. They said they came from another place. Um, it's just our scientists, and people get it wrong with our so-called scientists, our academics. They are not arguing. When they talk about ancient aliens and laugh and scoff, they are not arguing facts. They, are, they have a political position, and they refuse to budge from it. We are just talking politics, and that's all, because on the facts, they break down entirely. Right. Uh, my question regarding ancient civilizations would be, do you believe at some point that either the Atlantinians or a society before them achieved a high level of sophisticated technology, not necessarily similar to ours, but 
equal to ours except on a different paradigm. Yes, I do agree with that. And I think you're talking about the Maya. You're talking about a people that took a different kind of technology that we that's invisible to us. It's there, but we don't get it. The pyramids and so on were a form of technology. Um, but here's the thing about Atlantis. If you really read what Plato said, he said the gods, just just like the Egyptians said about the gods being ruling over mankind, and the Sumerians said the gods built the temples on Atlantis before they brought man and introduced him into Atlantis. To me, it's all going back to the same history. Right. And, and, and this, this to me, where Hancock totally gets off on his own little world there with, with you know, this ancient human race uh, could build the pyramids with some kind of technology they had. Well, where is any evidence of that technology is what I want. You know, he wants to hold archaeologists their feet over the fire. Well, when you, when you come up with a theory like that, um, it has enormous holes in it. And he laughs. He, he he was beaten up on Sitchin publicly, you know, scoffing at him in the, in the same vein that archaeologists do. But his theory, I'd love to debate him because his theory is completely, it doesn't hold water at all. Okay. You would have millions and millions of tools left over in Egypt, and there aren't any. But in, in your book, you make a really great case by pointing out the, the work of uh, Chris Dunn. Who oh said, yeah. He says the evidence is in the final work. As an example, yes. he gives a great uh, testimonial to the Ramsey II series of of um, sculptures that are identical, that had to have some form of technology involved. Sure. Simply, sure you can see simply to cut the stone with the level of accuracy and precision. Yeah, Chris does. Chris Don does great work. He, he sticks within his parameters. I mean, you know, he, he gives you the evidence, he gives you from his engineering point of view the engineering facts and lets you figure it out for yourself. Right. Um, it's very easy. I mean, if you look at the pyramid, the very first things they had to do, the Egyptians couldn't have done, and that was make the base 13 acres completely flat. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There was a an engineering firm, forensic engineering firm brought in who studied it and said that it's equivalent to what laser technology could do now. Well, the Egyptians just had round stones to use as hammers, so they couldn't do that kind of work. Then they had to dig the descending uh, passageway, 340 feet, at an angle of 26 degrees, straight underground, with what for lighting? And it's only uh, four foot tall. Yeah. Man could barely, well, you can come up with so many things to defeat history, but where we're at this, and, you know, call it a Mexican standoff, an impasse, or whatever. Culturally, this yeah. is a cultural phenomenon now with science blocking the way. I want to talk about can... that. I want to talk about that right now because I want to get into the uh, Great Pyramid. But you bring up a very interesting case in your book. Uh, I believe it's the uh, Ge- uh, Genesis race where right. you give an example. And I've heard about this story of uh, a geologist, uh, M- uh, McIntyre. Uh, Virginia McIntyre, who worked for the U.S. Geological uh, uh, Society. Mm -hmm. And she dated artifacts that were found just north of Pueblo, Mexico. That's right. At 200,000 years old. That's right. And And she was was so concerned with the initial date using carbon-14, she used four different... This is something I didn't know in your book. You brought this up. She used 
almost all the existing systems of dating, and they all they all collaborated with the original of two hundred right. year uh, thousand years old. That's so right. that throws a wrench in the whole evolutionary pattern. Well, yeah, and let's go back with what actually happened to her. She was invited to retract her results. Um, so she had the, they gave her the chance to conform to what uh, you know the archaeologists and anthropologists agree are the right dates. Um, she wouldn't do it. She said she she used uh, all of the technology as it was supposed to be used, and those were the results, and she stood by them. Well, guess what? She's never worked in the field again. Yeah. She's had to work as a gardener and so on. She can't get a job as a geologist. People don't understand how academia actually works and how cutthroat it can be. They they are given a mandate not to veer off the veer off the track. And you don't talk about ancient aliens. You don't talk about elongated heads. There are certain things you just don't do. And it has nothing to do with science. It's pure politics. Right. Um, my point in bringing up McIntyre, though, is it shows yeah. the great uh, cyclic history uh, in the Americas. I mean, a civilization oh, yeah. that lived 200,000 years ago blows our mind. Sure. Um, and if the, this civilization was somewhat sophisticated and from the tools and the uh, artifacts that they found, they looked like they were, you know, uh, a few steps above... Uh, simple ape people they were they actually were i think they had handmade bowls or i can't remember exactly what what was in the article yeah. but this is a society that's very sophisticated yeah and, and unfortunately it all got thrown out you know thrown by the wayside uh, how long this will last is anybody's guess maybe another generation or so yeah. eventually the facts have to come out the truth has to come out uh, there are too many I'm, I'm sure you've looked at these artifacts around the world and gone and what kind of a battering, what kind of a disaster happened on a global scale to destroy these things? 200 tons of stones tossed around. Something happened. Uh, and also the weathering on a lot of artifacts around the world is so profound. They, it just looks extremely ancient. And these little tight little dates of three and 4,000 years just seem ridiculous. Right. Let's talk. Uh, let's go back to uh, the Great Pyramid, the, uh, the Giza Plateau. Um, you believe it's a geodesic marker. Uh, we know it's 48 stories high. It's uh, it's really the most sophisticated stone building on the planet. Absolutely. Uh, what? Why is it so important uh, to us? What? Why is it? Uh, why? Why do we need to look at it a little closer? Well, from my point of view at, at this point, and I discovered this uh, this alignment, this you know, started using it as the uh, as the zero meridian, prime meridian. Forget about Greenwich. Greenwich was a political uh, fabrication by the British when they were in power. It means you know, it, it has no natural reality to it. Whereas if you look at the Great Pyramid uh, and use that as the point of reckoning, you see all these things line up on the planet. You know, geologically, you see them, and to me, then if you if you stand back and look, and somebody's, let's say from that point of view, showing you how the planet was laid out, then there has to be an intelligence behind it. And the whole point of this really is that we're not all there is to this, and we got to get over it. I mean, we're not the crown of creation. If there's a higher intelligence, we better get on 
and start communicating with it, but we can't get through our own stuff so far, and we collectively have to do it. I don't think we can do this on our own as alternative researchers. We have to get academia as cooperation. They control everything. And and how does that happen? There's there's a there's a break in the paradigm, and the younger well, archaeologists come up and say, look. Yes. We believe yes. this is what way it is, and we That's need to correct. look at this a little differently. Yeah, sure. The younger generation is not as indoctrinated. You know, they're at least maybe on the side secretly. They're looking at this information, going, "Huh, some of this makes some sense here." And you know, it starts with those kind of seeds. Um, and even like uh, I noted that you, uh, James O'Con, is a friend of mine. I've known him for about a dozen years, and uh, we've communicated. You know, he has a different approach, but his work also is very important because he pointed out that the Maya were not a Stone Age people. They're technolithic. We just didn't see their, the tools for what they were. Yeah. We didn't see how advanced they really were. Um, and he, Now, he's not an ancient alien theorist, but where he comes from as an independent scholar is also very important. Right. Now, you're in Mexico, so and I know that you traveled... Uh, you do travel into a lot of areas that are ancient sites in Mexico and not just the Yucatan Peninsula where the Maya are. Uh, is it your feeling that we have the uh, history and the, and the understanding of these ancient people incorrect? Totally. Totally incorrect. Here's the thing. I was just down in, uh, I was in Teotihuacan the first time in 1978. And the thing that most shocked me actually and it then impressed me was finding mica mica was at the top of the pyramid in a sandwich into a layer but it was also beneath a so-called temple floor and to me then it only could act as an insulator just the way we use it now it's an insulator electrical insulator atomic insulator um that just that got me and i've i've been working on that side i was down there in december and i was with having Hassan. Uh, his people, we were going around. It was a very fascinating. But what people don't see is that site was buried under a 20-foot layer of dirt. The entire site was buried. And the absurd idea that archaeologists have is the people intentionally buried it. No, I, I'm afraid not. It's 12 square miles. Uh, it would be so many millions of tons of dirt that it would be ridiculous. And we're talking the pyramids. Now. Dirt on them. So some kind of major disaster flood deposited all that you know alluvial well that's interesting you say that so your feeling is that it first of all and i believe the same thing that it's much much older much older than they would suggest and it went through some uh a global shift or deluge or something that probably had it under some significant uh, amounts of water and you can even, I, I post the pictures pretty often on my uh, Facebook page where people can just see what it looked like before the excavation started. And it's completely buried. I mean, it's under a huge layer of dirt. And the only thing that could do that would be nature uh, depositing up through a flood. But I can imagine, that's, that's all I can see. Um, and it's there, it has to be explained. It also, the thing about Teotihuacan is people don't realize, and, and they keep it kind of out of sight and out of mind. Those were not the way those pyramids looked. They were built with cut stones uh, and finished. Uh, the site was completely covered in concrete, 
completely covered in concrete. To me, it's more of an industrial feel to it than what they call everything temples and, and all this stuff. To me, the site has an, an industrial well, you're, you're down there. Let me ask you this question, because I, I wrote an article uh, a few months ago on uh, the Pyramid of the Serpent at Quetzalcoatl, and I've had a, I've had a, a researcher on here who uh, found a number of underground tunnels that were cut under, under that whole complex. I think it was a generation plan of some kind. Uh, well, that, you know, the, uh, the Gomez, Sergio Gomez, yeah. the archaeologist, found the... I was hoping to that he would be there working when I went there. Yeah, that's in the Ciudela, which is a very large, very large. Uh, it's like you know many many football fields put together and then surrounded um, by platforms. Uh, you can't tell exactly what the enclosure was used for, but in the middle of it, uh, a few years back, there was a, a flood and it opened up uh, this tunnel system that they never knew was there. In the, in the middle of the Ciudela, and it, they found the tunnel extends to the center, underneath the center of the uh, Pyramid of Quetzalcoatl. And then at the end of the tunnel, they found uh, that reservoir of mercury, which is also extremely enigmatic. Yeah. Uh, it, it was interesting that they didn't uh, bring in a chemist when, they, when uh, Gomez was excavating that, because not only did they find mercury... They found pyrite. Uh, gold, those gold balls, yeah. Balls. They found evidence of uh, radon gas being pushed in there. And then the most important thing is that ancient water, I mean, the water was flushed and moved into that whole area. Uh, and, and, and some form of uh, reaction was, I think, created. But yeah, we, if you look, yeah, if you look around there... Um, it, it just it looks like something a processing plant, right? Yeah. With the, with the, these pyramids, and there are no doubt, just like there is with the Great Pyramid, which we can get into, many things missing from that site, just like there are in the Great Pit. What made the Great Pyramid work is missing. It's completely missing. The capstone's missing. The uh, all of the paraphernalia that was in Grand Galleries missing. Many things were broken. Then it was sealed off. It's obvious whoever did it. Didn't want anybody knowing what was going on. Yeah. This is a really true mystery. I mean, it's it's not some little thing that we're scratching the surface on. This we're talking about a very big mystery. Here. I I have to ask you though, Will. It, it seems to me that we're not we're, we're trying to think in the wrong uh, not necessarily dimension, but in the wrong paradigm. We're we're trying to fit a square into a round hole when it comes to understanding these ancient races because uh, and you kind of hint on it in Genesis, the Genesis race and in ancient alien ancestors it's just you know these guys that were on the earth at the time that these places were built just had a different consciousness a different exactly. level of processing yeah, we can't, information and I totally, I totally agree with you by the time I did my original work survey in Mexico was basically all of the sites and all of the museums in one year in 78 and I ended up at uh, Teotihuacan and by then I had come to that conclusion we're talking about that we can't see this technology 
we can't put our minds in a very alien mindset. We just we can't seem to do it. Now, maybe over time we can, but I don't think we have enough discoveries yet. I, I like uh, you know the paradigm shift that Chris Dunn tried to make, but I don't agree. He's he's missing the boat too with his paralleling energy to our concept and use of electricity. I don't think that's what they were doing. They were using another kind of energy that's in the cosmos. Um, and they, they did it in a different way. And we just can't. Go ahead. Can you talk a little bit about what your idea would be for how they processed, uh, uh, how they created energy with these this pyramid complex? Well, it's because pretty... It's interesting. To, I mean, we, there was a guy a couple of years ago, John Burke, and I used to talk about him at nausea. He actually went and tested a number of these periods, pyramids, and they're sitting on top of geomagnetic fields, dead center. So that the uh, telluric field comes up through the pyramid, is somehow amplified, and then distributed in some way that we just don't know. Probably because the distribution channels are gone because it's been so damn long, or they were just assembled. Yeah. But, but we just don't know how these machines worked. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We're not grasping. So you know, Ed, you know Coral Castle and Ed Leedscombe. Yeah, he's probably our modern link. Unfortunately, none of our nitwit scientists were curious enough to find out what he was doing to go there and ask him. So it died. His secrets died with him, and that's to the shame of science, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but you know, that's what he said. I've read the short brief material that he left, and he basically said. I have to be in what he called a vortex, and Homestead was a vortex. But see, to me, what he's talking about, too, is that particular pathway is right in the pathway of hurricanes, and Homestead was completely destroyed in the 90s, except for Coral Castle. And Homestead was wiped out by Hurricane Andrew. Um, And that's what you're talking about. It's a real force. And it travels, it, it has, and he said, if, if I'm not there, I can't do what I do. So what you just said, I think, is is verified. Now, that's still- interesting. That's that's very, now, if I had never even thought about that. You do mention Coral Castle in your book, and the only thing that we are able to find that he left were some interesting gearing yeah, uh, and some, some kind of holding system that supported all the gearing, but... I guess that he was able, if, if Coral Castle sits on top of a telluric field, a natural uh, geomagnetic uh, pulse field, that would give him a way to channel that energy and distribute no, that's it. What he, that's what he said he did. And he said science had a misunderstanding of magnetism, that he used, he manipulated magnetism in this vortex to do what he did. Now it's up to us. He gave us some clues to you know, to do the research and see if we can figure it out. Let me let me tie things together now. Back with the original point I was making on the Great Pyramid being the anchor. I said that the Mississippi River Delta is exactly 120 degrees west of the Great Pyramid. What that means, the Mayan sites. I, I did this research back in the late 70s. The Mayan sites are aligned. They're aligned at 89 degrees west of Greenwich, which turns out to be 120 degrees exactly west of the Great Pyramid. So when we're talking about 
this knowledge that the ancient had, nobody can figure out. Well, why did the Maya align their sites? And Okan knows it. He knows that they align their sites. He, he did research on them. And he said they were very precise surveyors. How? I've been to that jungle. I mean, how did they do all that work? How did they build those roads? And why would you build flat, wide roads when you don't even have any vehicles or a piece of burden or anything? There's so many things we don't understand. And Jim and I get along fine, but he's a little too narrow and conservative to me in all his definitions. But he comes up with some great, great stuff. Um, so let me ask you, how did, how uh, were the Maya able to align their uh, complexes to the plant, uh, to the stars? I mean, what, how, why, well, would, why would they do that? Let's go back to what the Maya actually say. The Mayan elders who had had the knowledge handed down for generations, they say that they originally, the original ancestors came from the Pleiades. So it goes back way, way, way back. Um, immeasurably long time ago. Can we prove that scientifically? No. But I take the accounts of cultural people like the Maya and so on, the Dogon and so on, I take them as real accounts. I don't dismiss them and laugh them off. Um, so they had tr tremendous amount more knowledge uh, than we think they did. If you go to Chichen Itza, you go to the, the Mayan observatory, I mean, it looks exactly like a modern observatory. They could calculate the day to, uh, I think, 365.24. We just carried it out a few more numbers. They already knew that. They already knew about the transits of Venus. That's how they correlated all these things having to do with Venus. Um, Back in, I, I started writing for Atlantis Rising back in the 1990s, uh, and I wrote articles about 2012, and I said, 2012, it's not going to be a destruction of the world. That's all bogus, westernized stuff coming out through the New Age people. Um, that's not what they say. They just say there's a shift. There's going to be a shift in consciousness, a shift in civilization that began in 2012 and goes on from here. Um, I wrote that in 2004. Anybody can go read it. No destruction of the world. But that gets the press. The sensationalism gets the press. Um, yeah. If the serious people just keep following, you know, keep following, find out who's credible, find out who you can actually look at and back up what they've said and what they do. Because I was with the Maya in 78 down in the Lock and Dome jungle with the Lock and Dome Maya. And I got a lot of my information from them way before the 20s. I, I wrote about 2012 and 2004 just to prepare people for it. But I'm not, I'm, I am not one of the people who tries to, you know, blow my own horn and become somebody. I want my work to be taken seriously, not myself, you know, to be promoted out there. You understand what I mean? Of course. There's a big difference, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're not just turning out written material because you uh, you know want to sensationalize something. You want to get the as much consciousness as you can based on your on your investigation. So I mean that's what's that's interesting. Hey, talk talk about uh, uh, pyramid grids and how you think that is an important facet to uh, well, I think to the it's earth. Just, it ties in with what you brought up there, and then. What I brought up about Ed Leedskill and, and these uh, these vortexes and how this energy flows north south. To me, 
the, uh, the the longitude of the Great Pyramid is on I consider the zero longitude. Um, it's extremely important because it not it goes from the Great Pyramid down to uh, Lake Victoria right on the equator, which is uh, one of the bio centers of the planet. You know where life radiating out from. Then you go, you look at the Maya, and I said it's not only that the Maya sites were. Even down to Tikal, all the way up into the Yucatan Peninsula, down to Tikal, built on a north-south pattern, right on the exact same GPS, 120 degrees west of the Great Pyramid. But it also goes for the mound builders, because they were along the Mississippi. The Mississippi flows along 120 degrees west. The Mississippi and the Nile are like inverted mirror images of each other. One, you know, the Mississippi flows north to south and empties in to the Gulf at 30 degrees, and the Nile does the reverse in Africa. But they're creating the spiraling pattern. You see what I mean? It's hard to visualize. You almost have to have a picture of it and look at how these things fit together on the planet. And these huge, big patterns where rivers are constantly flowing into the ocean and creating these currents. Um, And it's not all, it's not paranormal. We just don't see these geophysical things yeah. that, that, that they knew about. And they knew, and when they put those pyramids together, they not only used that, they used, I'm sure you're aware of, like, the Schumann resonance and brainwaves and all that, right? Yeah. Okay. The same frequencies, you know. We're in, e, we're in the ELF range. The planet is in the ELF range. Um, the heartbeat of the Earth. And... Those energy, they knew how to align the planets. That's why they kept like 17 different calendars, because they were dialing all the stuff in, the exact energies on the exact day, how they would work and what they would do with them. But we lost all of that. We have it there, but people can't kind of get through and look at, why would you keep 17 calendars and all you are is basically an agrarian society? Because they were doing this cosmic kind of work with those energies, and we don't see it yet. That's a, that's how I envision it. But but I think we've hit some of the points there that people need to think about. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, uh, last week Jim was talking about the the state of the consciousness and how the Maya were basically dialing into different levels of consciousness. Uh, to, to, to get information. They went, you know, millions of years in the future, millions of years in the past. That's what they did. And uh, I think, and I've talked to a, a, a few elders, that they understood how to imbue stone with information. Now, I don't know, we're not at a place where we can create machines that, I can, that can scan and extract data from uh, a non-biological uh, forces, but I think we're getting close. See, I uh, think rather rather than thinking like we do, because we're in, especially in the West, we're so externally oriented, you know, to physics, to yeah. electromagnetism, and, and these different forces and how they work, and we do not insert consciousness in. Although quantum physicists did, and that's when things get very strange is when you include consciousness. And then you find out you can't nail things down like you, you thought you were. But the ancients already knew that. They already knew that they were dealing with consciousness. And we're starting to, I, th- I think the brainwave technology, uh, 
is starting to get where if, if we start to manipulate like the theta and delta waves consciously, because that's where we're usually dreaming and sleeping. But that's what those trance states, that's what the shaman did. They got in those states consciously and then could could travel literally, could transcend time and space. And we just have to get that stuff, that knowledge back. Right. Um, you brought up something that was interesting uh, regarding how the ancients manipulated magnetic fields uh, and, and, and understood these uh, massive grids. And, uh, I mean, I, I think somebody wrote a book a few years ago that actually shows that most of the ancient major sites uh, in Peru, Mexico, Europe, maybe even in China, we don't know a great deal about China, but are on these interesting grids. Right, well... Yeah, I pointed out the grid, the main grid that I see. There are other grids, too, people link up. The thing about it is it can get kind of confusing because you can draw lines from you know, here to there, and, and it looks like something. But like I said, the mind grid is there. Anybody can look at it, and it goes all the way up to the mouth. Goes. The Egyptian pyramid grid is there. Um, we, just, we just have to kind of abandon our, our mindset if we can, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. Um, to be able to get what, what they are, maybe we could go into the pyramid a little bit, the Great Pyramid, because that to me indicates that this stuff was not meant to be easy to get to. Because when I studied the Great Pyramid and went through every single piece, I, I just noticed that everything that made it work and whatever it did is gone or severely damaged. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they uh, they basically hermetically sealed it up. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Caliph Muman got in there, but he got in there surreptitiously, just having to get lucky enough to, to hit an opening where the rock fell through and he could hear the echo. If he had done it elsewhere, he would have got nothing but solid rock. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the pyramid... Did it have a capstone? Well, we look at the one next to it. That one has a capstone. Why is that capstone still there? Uh, and on on the top of the Great Pyramid, there's nothing. Uh, and then inside, I don't care what kind of structures you look at, uh, the Grand Gallery was obviously functional. Those slots along the wall, um, you can just see something was fitted in there, but we have no idea what it was. Yeah. It's yeah. gone. Um, the the damage that, that Dunn pointed out in the, in the so-called King's Chamber, the crack in one of those blocks, uh, and he he was, you know, saying that it looks like it was an explosion internally. It was blackened. Um, an earthquake wouldn't do that. And I, and I even have questions about what happens to all of the casing stones on the outside. No earthquake could take the casing stones off the a How are they going to fall off? There's, there's very stupid, silly, uh, mythological things that are passed off as history. Um, that even, I, I question the other pyramids, when I look at them, they, the archaeologists always say, well, there was half finished, they only started it. No. That thing is so old, it's completely disintegrated. Those people that built that didn't do anything halfway. 
and you've got at least half a dozen pyramids they claim were unfinished. Um, no, I'm afraid not. They were finished. It's just that you refuse to see how old it is. Why? Well, who's got a stake in how old things are? Evolutionists do. Yeah. It all goes back to evolutionists. They're holding things up. They run the paradigm. You can't violate it if you're in science or you'll get booted out. Um, Shock, Robert Shock, you know who he is, with the... John West. Yeah, and John West, John Anthony West brought him in. But Shock has been buffeted repeatedly. I mean, even people spit in his face at lectures, you know, just because he bumped into the paradigm. You know, he wasn't trying to. It's just there again. He came up with results doing his geological tests on the Sphinx that conflicted with Egyptologists. And he's been hounded ever since. But he continues to do his work. And that's another person that I don't agree with all that he does, but he's rocking the boat. Yeah. Um, what do you think the Great Pyramid was created for, other than a, a marker? What was... Because obviously the interior is filled with all kinds of really right. strange uh, spaces. <laughs> why would you? Yeah. Why would you have those ascending and descending passages? One of my questions on them was: See, twenty-six. When you talk twenty-six degrees, twenty-six is a key number to the ancients. It was a key number to the Maya. Very important number because it's a factor, you know, of the two hundred sixty-day sacred calendar. Um, twenty-six figures in. Those, both of those passageways are set at exactly 26 degrees. It's just about half of what the exterior angle of the Great Pyramid is, which is about 51.50 or something. Um, so those were very important indicators of, of the kind of you know mathematics they were using. But why would you have them four feet tall, 300 feet long and four foot tall, so that an average person has to completely hunch over to scoot through them? Um, you know, I let people draw their own conclusions on that. Um, why would you have these, uh, you know, Gatlinburgs, the, the so-called tunnels, or uh, you know, um, oh, my, I'm slipping on the word temporarily. The shafts that go out of the Queen and King's chambers, incredibly difficult to engineer. Those shafts for hundreds of feet, winding through the pyramid. And why would you put a door? An eight by eight inch door, 140 feet up. I mean, it, it just makes zero sense. It's almost as if somebody was pushing it. You know, how irrational can we be here? We'll put a little door in here with handles on it. Um, you know, it, it to me the pyramid remains an enigma. And the question is interesting because it wasn't built for one purpose, but many, many purposes. And we're still unraveling what they are. Um, I enjoy studying it, but I also have to walk away from it. Uh, your head can get overheated. You definitely have to change your uh, conventional thinking when you look at it. Because it doesn't make any sense uh, to us today in our uh, logic. It makes sense, a real sense to me in terms of a GPS uh, anchor market, but the other uses for it, um, you know, and the precision, the precision's what's mind boggling. You know, I put in there, because a lot of people don't know that the Japanese in 78 tried to build a micro pyramid 
and they tried to use the ancient methodology of the Egyptologists. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do one step. Nothing. They ended up having to call helicopters and trucks in, and they still couldn't align this little four, I think it was four-story tall pyramid. It was a wreck. They tore it down. That showed you, and this was not a Mickey Mouse operation. It was Nissan funded it. Um, and the Japanese don't do things to get embarrassed and lose face. They were not happy. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, we have a lot of hubris in our civilization. I'm not, I don't think we could build it now. I think we're close. I think we're close. And theoretically, you might say, yeah, we, we have the laser technology. We have CAD. We have all this stuff. But we would never. We could build it, but we wouldn't know for what reason what for? other than no, we, a block of a block of rock, you know? Yeah, it wouldn't mean anything to us, or we wouldn't spend the billions and billions that it would take. Uh, it would be a ridiculous job. Right. I don't know if you've seen, I, I posted on my, just this last week, uh, an artist, a sculptor, who made a 340-ton sculpture outside of L.A., and in order to get it into the art museum, it took a truck that had 28 sets of wheels uh, to carry 340 tons. And that gives you an idea when you're looking at Baalbek and 1,000 tons. We're not even in that ballpark right now with a mobile crane. We don't have a mobile crane that could do that. So I, I, I keep bringing it back to holding archaeologists' feet under the fire because in the end, their paradigm has has to break down, and we have to get younger, you know, sincere archaeologists in there who are not going to play the politics that are holding this thing up. And having people laugh at people like you and I, who are serious, independent researchers, as if we, you know, we're idiots or something, when yeah. we keep presenting hard evidence and they keep ignoring it. Well, we wouldn't be sitting here if we were indoctrinated uh, into the. Uh academic world. I mean, I, I studied archaeology in college, but right. I, I was so put off by their restrictive point of view from the ancient past. So, But anyhow, in the time we have left, Will, I, I want yeah. to uh, bring up uh, a little bit of this new book, Ancient Alien Ancestors, <laughs> Advanced Technologies That Terraformed Our World. You get into a big section on uh, noted UFO cases. Why, why did you bother with that is it because you wanted to show... Uh, because, well, reason be, I, the reason I asked that is because there's so many books on it, but I, and I haven't had a chance to read closely. But, I mean, you you go back to Roswell, and you bring up some exactly. other well, cases. Well, what I want to do is I yeah. want to bring up, you know, the very well-researched uh, core of cases uh, and, and show people this is a serious phenomenon. Also, that the, the phenomena, what I want to point out is that it's a continuum within human experience all the way back to the present. Um, it's not a real, it, it is part of, of my theory, but then again, see, what, Crick and Orgel were too restrictive. They didn't bring in archaeology. Now, Carl Sagan, and he was one of their advisors, told them they should. They should, because the ancients had brought up a lot of issues, and they didn't want to do that. But, I bring that in. I also want to bring in modern, I don't want people, you know, modern UFO researchers tend to hold ancient alien people at arm's length and vice versa. I think we should all just take in all this data inclusively and see what we come up with. That's why I put all of, all of those cases in. Okay. But is there one or two? I mean, to my mind, you are, uh, as a writer myself, I think you're tying it in to, to basically, and I'm going to use my language, not yours, but okay. you're, you're showing 
that here are the overlords to come back and to see how the terraforming has uh, has taken place to kind of measure. I mean, let, let's say that these beings what? are a thousand to ten thousand years in advance of us, right? Which would which is in, would be impossible for us to conceive what they would be like. We we know that, right? Yeah. I mean, just impossible. If they're a thousand years from where we are with continuous uh, technological advances, you know, all of this stuff is child's play to them. Yeah, but when I say that, when I say that, remember, you know this very well. These ships defy our physics. They go through dimensions. They're dimensional travelers, which allows them to go. It has to be because. Yeah. We're not wrong when we say, you know, that the nearest galaxy, there are stars of light years away, and, it's, and it poses a difficult problem. In other words, there again, we can't apply our kind of way of thinking. They came up with a solution to that problem of travel in space totally different than ours. Right. And we don't, there again, we've got to shift the paradigm because it doesn't work. But I want to ask um, you, I want you, you They to, came, well, you, here's, oh, here's... Okay, go ahead. But I want you to explain why that is important to understand why the ufos flying around and these alien uh, contacts what mm-hmm. what do you deem from that what what is what is your process final statement about these contacts okay the the modern context if, if you study the, the history of it goes back to uh, the, uh, the mid to late 40s mostly in new mexico where the all the nuclear research was going on in, in new mexico including the fat boy explosion. And that's not that far away from Roswell. And I've been to both areas, studied them both. Um, In those contexts is is when it intensified from then on. They made themselves known. Uh, And there were other cases prior to Roswell, big ones in New Mexico, that people just don't know about. but they were seen all over there. That's when they came in and made themselves more of a visible presence. And through the 50s, I mean, I grew up in that area, era, and people were very much wondering, what are these things? I mean, Americans at large were just, you know. And part of the reason NASA got funded was to actually solve the problem. Of course, NASA changed that whole, their mission uh, once they got going. But that originally was part of it. When you, say, the, when you say solve the problem, you mean... For, uh, what are the government UFOs? to take an active role in trying to figure out where these flying oh, UFOs sure, are coming from? Yeah, who else could do it? You know, and we had three uh, early, you know, the earliest uh, studies done by the Air Force said that they're real. These are these are real things. But then they changed. Somebody in the Pentagon decided that no, that's not the spin we want. And it probably happened after Roswell. And they found something, and they started back engineering, and they decided that, no, we don't need to be telling the public all this. We're just going to basically avoid it. They don't openly deny it. They've never said there's no such thing as UFOs. They've never said that. And if anybody thinks they have, point it out to me where they did. They have never said that. Well, they're not, they're, not, uh, they're not happy to acknowledge, uh, you know, as, as fully as they could the existence well, because, of these ships yeah and that's but another case people say why don't why don't they land on, on the White House they essentially did in 1952 they buzzed the White House two weekends in a row with eight different ships that everybody saw 
I mean, we're talking about Congress, we're talking about the military, everybody. They scrambled jets after them, they couldn't come near them, um, and they would, they just preferred to, let's just squash this thing. we got to get rid of it. We don't know what it is. And what they've, the most they've ever said that I've seen is they say, well, there's no threat to our national security, so let's not worry about it. That's the conclusion. I haven't heard that part. Because, yeah, that's the, con- you know, that's the conclusion. Yeah, I think they're too far ahead of us, and they, they can't do anything about it anyhow. So. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that uh, presentation. Um, Will has uh, an interesting uh Facebook page. If you go to Facebook, just type in uh, Will Hart, W-I-L-L-H-A-R-T. You can uh, see that he posts, uh, wherever he's located, he posts uh, photographs and uh, articles and information about his personal interests. So always interesting to have him on the program. Next week, my guest is Frank Joseph. We are talking about ancient America. Frank is a the former uh, uh, executive editor of Ancient America magazine. Uh, He has his hands in all kinds of research. And we have Frank off and on. We haven't really had Frank in for a long talk about uh, his new research. But this is going to be interesting because he has made some fascinating discoveries. And we're going to be talking about some upcoming books on Ancient America. Uh, He wrote a book called The Lost History of Ancient America. We talked a little bit about that about a year ago, but this new material features quite a few uh, bits of information from other authors and their contributions uh, to this book. So next week is July the 29th. Hey, have a great day. We'll talk to you again. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.